Eight minutes it is now. Before 8 p.m., we go into our wrap of big business stories at the start of this new week. And I'm joined to do so by your portfolio manager and uh, analyst at Vestact Asset Management. And that's uh, Bright Kumar Mbulaz. Gunjan Bafu. Yeah, Good, good. Thanks, Gunjan Bafu. Ah, no, can't complain, my brother. Uh, always uh, good to start off the new week with the right energy. And uh, I guess uh, one country that uh, would not be happy about how uh, the last few days have been for them. That's uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They had uh, the Crown Jewel, that uh, state-owned oil producer, uh, on the receiving end of a drone strike. And uh, I guess uh, for many people, still a bit unclear uh, who is behind this one. But uh, we do know uh, some uh, Yemeni militants have taken responsibility for this one. What, what's the latest on this one, uh, Bright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically you're referring to the Yemen's Houthi rebel group, mm. or Houthi, as, as white people would call it. <laughs> They've basically, um, you know, sent these drones, apparently there is about 10 or 11 of these drones called the Kamikazes. Uh, they look like, you know, little play, play planes that look like airplanes that fly over, obviously, and detonate wherever they control to go. Um, and they've hit a big part of um, uh, the production of uh, Saudi Aramco, which, you know, is equivalent of 5% of the world's crude oil um, production. That just shows, you know, like it's a big space uh, of this, you know, um, oil refinery that they hit down there in Saudi Arabia. But again, I don't know why this is all surprising, um, you know, to everyone, because we know the only surprise um, when it comes to um, any form of tyranny is, you know, on the downside. And this is a perfect example. Uh, it's, you know, it's manufactured peace. Uh, people are sitting there. They don't like being there. They just, you know, because they're from there and um, always the surprises are always on the negative side mm. of things. And the bad thing on this side is that it actually affects us, uh, you know, non-oil producing countries as the oil prices weakened about 11% the last time I checked. So it strengthened, um, which is good. Well, now 15% uh, to $69, uh, you know, 20 uh, cents, U.S. cents per barrel. This is Brent crude oil. So going the wrong side and you know we had hopes uh, that you know on Wednesday um, sorry on Thursday the, our, our central bank was going to come and cut cut rates but ah, you know, no chance of that know, happening <laughs> <laughs> the petrol price is going the wrong direction and the oil price going the wrong direction I don't think that's going to happen now, now, Mbulazi, I mean, I guess th- there's also the geopolitics around this. Uh, Donald Trump uh, coming out and saying, you know, he already has his guns locked and loaded and ready to uh, shoot. And the big question is in what direction? Because uh, for many people, I guess the, the involvement of uh, the Houthi rebels here, who uh, many people are suggest are trained by Hezbollah, which is also, uh, I guess, uh, one of the proxies there for uh, Iran in Iran. Lebanon. Yes. yes. Now, uh, yeah. if, uh, if, you know, if uh, uh, Donald Trump's guns are, are locked and loaded, uh, where are they aimed at? Well, look, this is part of a bigger um, cold war between, um, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran. So, you know, this benefits Iran, obviously, as an oil-producing country, because as these guys, you know, oil is being halted, they're, they're able to move more, you know, theoretically, they're able to move more volumes, um, and it helps them if they still move the same volumes um, at a higher price. Um, so there's that part. But this this cold war has been going on for for decades now between um, uh, you know uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. You know, in terms of uh, the one part is Yemen, there's other parts where you know they've got these proxy battles that are happening where they're funding and trading mm. and uh, Shia and the other side of Muslims. 
um, militant groups uh, to fight each other in those countries rather than actually just declaring a direct war against each other. So it's you know it's a it's a it's a, it's a chess game, unfortunately, with real human beings losing lives. Yeah. Sure, sure. Now, if we consider, I guess, some of the eruptions happening in Venezuela and uh, the supply disruptions uh, associated with this particular strike here. Uh, what would you say is the upper bound of that oil price? And, uh, you know, how long is it going to take for a Saudi production to return to the levels that we've become familiar with? Look, Saudi Arabia is going to be in a rush to fix this, I said, because Saudi Aramco is meant to be um, listing very soon. They've already hired about 11 banks, different banks, basically to tell them the same thing. <laughs> and advising them in their listing, I don't know why you'd hire 11 banks. Just pick one and run with it, or support local banks or something. Rather, you know, the names that are there are the likes of J.P. Morgan, mm. Goldman Sachs, which, you know, they're always the guys that are at the top of these listings, but, you know, we digress. Um, in terms of replacing um, this back to um, normal production, shouldn't take that long, because, like I said, there's a lot of downside. Uh, it, it might even halt their listing, uh, well, the, the, the IPO, the potential listing. But remember, you know, Saudi Aramco is, is still at the top of, you know, the most profitable uh, company in the world. It's more profitable than, than um, Apple, you know, on a dollar-for-dollar dollar basis. Mm. Um, so they want to keep that status, right? Because uh, that, that was the selling point uh, on their roadshow um, in all these different countries, especially where they want to float their shares. So uh, they're definitely going to be repaying that ASAP. In terms of where the oil price might go anytime soon, I have no idea. I'm just like you. I don't, I don't have a model that tells me you know, like if you uh, change oil price by 15, how long does it take for it to go back to 62 or whatever? So, yeah, because no one expected this in the first place. So this was a surprise in itself. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I guess you know on, on the other side of things, there's the big question around what this is going to mean for our price environment. You touched on that monetary policy committee meeting uh, earlier on in our conversation, and I guess maybe at at a, at a very simple and uh, you know a more day to day lay person's perspective, the big question is. Uh, if indeed we see the oil price uh, breaching that uh, $85 barrel mark and nearing that $100 barrel mark, as some people have suggested, what is that going to mean for all of us, uh, for the things we buy, for the transport we use, and, of course, for the gas that we put in our vehicles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will be... (laughs) Scared. Yeah, no, in proportion to the price, you consume locally since we're not an oil-producing um, country, uh, which actually makes you wonder why the government is becoming so slow in um, you know, enacting um, regulation that accelerates us going to becoming a more greener country, you know, with alternative um, sources of energy mm. outside of ESCOM, for example. I know there's a 151 uh, billion rand plan that is on the pipeline, but that's not good enough because these things, these shocks are a real thing. And... You know these shocks, uh, they call them six-sigma events. It's supposed to happen once every 100 years, but actually they they tend to happen every year this time around. Uh, I don't know whether it's because I'm born in this generation or what, but it seems like they're happening quite often. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's it's not good for, for all, you know, kinds of producers um, because, you know, we all use transport to move our goods from one place to, to the other. And we all use uh, transport to actually transport ourselves to work and back. And if you look at the South African economy, when you look at demographic, demographics, between housing and transport, we spend about all, almost 66% of our monthly salary just on those two things. And then you add, add food there, that jumps to like 
approach 88%, which is horrible uh, if you're going to increase that one bit, which is, you know, um, taxi fare, uh, which is now going to more than triple in a very short period of time. Mm. Bulazi, yeah. let's maybe shift our attention, I guess, away from oil, but remain in the Middle East. Now, uh, we know the uh, Central Bottling Company and uh, through the uh, sort of Milko have um, been considering for a while buying... Uh, Clover South Africa alongside uh, the guys who give us uh, Lucky Star and uh, INJ and all manner of other things, uh, Brimstone Investment Group, uh, right up until BDS sat down with Brimstone and said, hey guys, you know, we know much of your base and not only as, uh, you know, the shareholders, but even much of your own market here uh, is very much a pro the Palestinian cause and therefore uh, it wouldn't be a good look for you guys to be part of a consortium uh, alongside Israeli interests that goes and buys Clover. And uh, Brimstone lost 55 million rand in that transaction. And we know uh, that as we speak, the competition tribunal is uh, looking at this particular matter. And many people have suggested that uh, they're likely to approve this merger uh, with a few conditions around procurement and employment. If indeed they do, right? Well, what is this going to mean for uh, not only the dairy market, but uh, increasingly, uh, I guess, uh, the transition Clover has already started to make uh, into other non-dairy products? Yes. Um, you know, the, 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 the Israel-Palestine politics are that, and, you know, PDS is doing a good job um, in, 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 you know, keeping <laughs> everyone in the good side of that, especially local companies. But, you know, the, the, the big issue here that was brought up by, you know, the, the, the Food and Allied Workers Union and General Industry Workers Union, which is Geusa and FAU, uh, which, you know, makes out a big chunk of Clover's um, uh, workforce in terms of, the, you know, which unions. They're basically saying they want a South African champion uh, to actually carry on holding these crown jewels as they see them, which is, you know, these Clover assets. Um, and... Brimstone, with their 15%, which now is no longer obviously going to be snapped up by someone who's got, you know, the guts and no, you know, political affiliations and, they, you know, um, just, you know, focus on business alone. Because, like you say, if this deal goes through, it goes through. There's, there's nothing that's going to stop because it's a nice deal. It's 25 rand, it's mostly cash. Um, uh, well, it's cash. It's not it is cash. cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cash. Um, and it's it, the shareholders are going to approve that because it makes sense for them, considering the fact that in the past few years the share the, the share price of Clover hasn't really done much, uh, except you know go down uh, right and, and and down, which is not where you want to see your share price go. Um, so if you give me a you know a good exit, yeah, I'll take it as a shareholder of Clover. But um, for for the employees here, um, they, like the, the union puts it quite beautifully here. I usually I'm usually not on the union side, but uh, after three years. They're going to obviously, which is like the, um, the terms that they usually pose on the acquirer to say you need to keep the employees for three years uh, while they look for a potential, you know, change of jobs to mm. other companies or um, upskill themselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, before you start culling the workforce and you know rejigging the portfolios and like you're saying, uh, working on on you know focusing on more stuff that works and and and, and dropping skills that are not uh, working for the South Moon because you know good company mm. and this uh, fresh um, um, uh, milk and fresh pro- produce company like Clover. Yeah. So um, it, it, it is it is a real problem, uh, especially in this environment where you know unemployment is is, is where it's at, close to thirty percent. You know, a third of the country doesn't have jobs, and about more than half of the youth of South Africa doesn't have jobs. Um, and then you find a buyer who's going to you know streamline uh, that's you know that's letting for firing people, the business, um, and. Uh, 
It's not good. It's only good mm. for the shareholders of Clover at 25 bucks. Unfortunately, it's, it's not good for anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And Bulaz, if you were Brimstone, they're sitting watching this from the sidelines and, uh, you know, thinking, I guess, about uh, your own uh, decision that you've made out of conviction, uh, uh, you know, what sentiment would you carry now? Well, clearly this was a sweet deal um, at this price and taking this company private, as you've seen a lot of um, small to medium companies are actually trading much less at the, you know, where the book values are or the net asset values, whatever matrix you use to actually um, uh, value these businesses. They, they're quite cheap. They're cheaper than actually if you go out right now and use your RANDs to go buy a business that's already private because a guy that's running a private business already knows that I'm getting X amount of cash flows and I wouldn't sell it at, you know, cash flows X, you know, multiplied mm. by X. I wouldn't sell it at less than price. Whereas the market... And thinks that you know Saudi is going to zero, and there's been oversellers than buyers, meaning these actually these products can trade below the net asset value. Um, so it, it is a good deal. But what I would think is, Brimstone, is what what was I thinking in the first place? Because I already know my client base, I know mm. my you know founding principles of the business, I mean. and um, and you know they they already knew who who they you know, target market is, especially for the capital providers, et cetera, et cetera. But they still went anyway and, and pursued the deal without thinking a lot about the partners, uh, which are now, these are we're going to, this is going to be a long-term marriage with Israel, while things aren't going well back, you know, in Israel versus Palestine, which we already know, uh, you know, things that aren't going well there. Yeah, it's tough times, man. Tough, tough, tough times indeed. So that's 58 million rand. Yeah. Uh, hey, which also hurt a lot of, you know, it's the shareholders again of Pudistone that are losing out here. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, you know, management didn't really think this one long and hard. Yeah, and it's a costly you know, mistake. Ran. They just saw the price. They were like, yes, you are Warren Buffett. You're going to go for it. Mm. And they, for, they, they forgot the, you know, first principles, yeah. Lessons on lessons on lessons. Bulaz, always a pleasure to catch up with you, my brother. Really appreciate you. you taking time out to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Abba. That there was Bright Kumalo, a portfolio manager and uh, analyst at Vestact Asset Management, speaking to us as part of our business wrap uh, on this Monday.